Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today is my friend, Ian Anderson. How's life, Ian? It's good. It's been very good. Got yeah. a job. Congratulations. So, thank you. It's awesome. This week, we'll be running through the cooking documentary, Knives Out. We'll warm up with brief spoiler-free thoughts on the film, and then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film and all its twists and turns. And as always, we'll round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of Knives Out. A detective investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric combative family. The film stars... Ready for this? Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell, and Eddie Patterson. Wow. It is written <laughs> and directed by Ryan Johnson. Harlan started out with a rusty Smith Corona and built himself into one of the best-selling mystery writers of all time. 30 languages, over 80 million copies sold. You guys fans? I mean, I don't do much fiction reading myself. Big but... fan. I'm a big fan. Who is that guy? Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. You're famous. The night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. And your son, Ransom, did he attend as well? Yes, but he left early. I think Linda was upset. Walt would get a little Irish courage in him. He'd get into it with Harlan. What? Richard said what? Are you baiting me, detective? Attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death. You mean if someone killed him? You think one of us, one of his family, Walt, Walt. killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. So definitely this cast is insanely stacked. I think I loved almost every performance. Who stood out to you? Chris Evans, I think, mm -hmm. just because it's so different from what people use, like people normally see Chris Evans in, which is Captain America. This is such a like left turn, you know. Yeah, he's just like nowhere. this like douchey playboy guy, yeah. like the exact opposite of a Boy Scout. Yeah, I Chris Evans was my standout too. I thought Tony Collette's character was hilarious. Yeah, she was. Um, well, actually, before we kind of get into the the weeds a little bit, just tell me in general what you thought about this film. I love this movie. Um, I, I think I actually had low hopes going into it. Really? Um, you know, it, it just looked like one of those too-good-to-be-true movies where you see just like a stacked cast and you get really excited for it and then it ends up being fine. But this like really impressed me. I thought everybody did some, did some of their best acting in this movie. This was probably my favorite Daniel Craig movie. Interesting. Mm, maybe maybe Casino Royale still, but, yeah. but it's up there. Okay. What did you feel or how did you feel about Ryan Johnson's direction and his script and everything like that. Yeah, I thought that also really stood out. Um, just because I feel like whodunit movies have been, in my experience, been played out so oh, much. Yeah. Like you go in and you just experience the same thing over and over again. Like I thought that was going to change with the murder on the Orient Express. I thought that was going to be really good. And then I hated it. <laughs> I, I didn't even see that movie because I heard it was bad. Yeah. But this this really impressed me, and it makes me feel like it might just be Ryan Johnson, but it makes me feel like there could be like hope for more movies like this in the Who Done It genre. So I know that they have announced that they're going to do like a Clue remake. 
Oh, really? Uh, Haven't there already been like two or three of those? I don't know, but like Ryan Reynolds is doing a Clue remake or something. Okay. How do you feel about that? That sounds fun to me. I like Ryan Reynolds. Okay. I think that this is basically just like the perfect remake of Clue. It's just not called Clue. Yeah. Um, I agree with they you. They even thought... made a joke about that in the in the movie. They, Did they? they? Yeah. They were like, this house looks like it's straight out of a like Clue board game. They, or they said like, this house looks like a Clue board game. Oh, I didn't remember that. But I think this film, I agree with you. I think it's really good and it's really funny. Uh, all the characters, I think... Every single performance, except for like one or two, were pitch perfect. But the characters that they're playing are definitely caricatures. They're not like real people. It's kind of like, yeah, uh, you know, the crazy son mm-hmm. and the alt-right grandson. And like all these characters, they don't have a ton of like fully fleshed out personalities other than Anna de Armas's character, who's kind of like our main character in the yeah. film. So, like, to me, it reminded me of, oh, Pl- Professor Plum or the other ones, yeah. Colonel Mustard or something, right? So, I, I really liked it. This movie's really, um, it's kind of campy, but it's really funny. And mm. I think the writing is definitely the best part in the movie. Like, even in a stacked cast, mm-hmm. I thought the writing was the thing that shined throughout it. Yeah. There was a whole bunch of times throughout the film where I was like, I don't think this makes sense. Like, how could this possibly not happen? And then I thought that at by the end of it, all my questions, all my doubts about it were answered and satisfied by yeah. the end of the film. Yeah, I really definitely. like that. Um, the other thing that I really noticed, um, at least in the first half of the film, was the editing. So there's a whole kind of the whole opening 20 minutes of the film is an introduction to all the different family members as they're being interviewed by Lakeith Stanfield and then Daniel Craig mm-hmm. and the editing between the different interviews. Like, oh, kind of yeah. Them together. When they like cut the same question from Daniel Craig into like being answered by like three different people. Yeah, yeah it was so good. Yeah, I thought that was really clever and it was really kind of. Um... <laughs> but it, it was it was just cool hearing like. You know, you get different answers to the same question from like three different members of the family, <laughs> and you see Daniel Craig's like wheels start turning in his head. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, the back and forth between Don Johnson and Jamie Lee Curtis, the yeah. uh, the married couple, I thought that was great. Where like one of them was like, "I'm not going to be tricked into talking shit about my family," and then the other one talks shit about the yeah. family. Um, I thought the way Daniel Craig was introduced in that scene was also fantastic. Yeah. That's really all the background that you get on him, and it's all that you really need. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, this guy's like the best. <laughs> so he does have a weird, like, Kentucky Southern accent. How did you feel about that? I really thought the accent worked. We talked about this, I think, when we were leaving the theater. Yeah. I, I thought it was really good because if he had his normal British accent, I feel like tons of people would go and just see James Bond. They wouldn't see, mm-hmm. um, what's his name, Benoit. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's so but, many characters. But, but they this. wouldn't see the character that Daniel Craig's supposed to be portraying. They would just see the character they know. And I, I think that was a good way of separating him and also a good way of, you know, like you said, making these characters caricatures. Like he, he was just like the Kentucky fried southern drawly detective. Yeah. It did feel weird, though, because this film does take place in New England. Yeah. So I don't know what this guy was doing here. The one of the things I noticed instantly in the film was like the opening shot of the family manor. Mm-hmm. I was really taken aback by just everything was dead around it, like all the trees and stuff. It was all just dead, gross New England winter or mm-hmm. like New England fall because New England sucks. And 
I looked at it and I was like, is, is that Boston? Like that reminds me exactly of what we just walked out of. Yeah. Um, and I looked it up and it is, it was actually shot in Boston. Oh really? Yeah. There's a car chase, uh, in it, which is a hilarious scene. I turned to you at one point cause I, I could have sworn they like crossed a bridge and I was like, I've ran over that bridge. I think it's in Watertown. So I want to rewatch the movie like just for that. That's a side tangent, but I do think like the <laughs> the wealthy New England mansion in kind of the dead of fall. I think that's a pretty unique setting, and it's not one that you normally see in these kind of yeah, whodunit things. Definitely, I like to think that Chris Evans had a hand in doing that because he's a Massachusetts boy. Yeah, he's a Boston boy. So as the film goes along, I do think it does get like zanier and zanier. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a point in the film where you were kind of like, okay, bit much? The, yeah, there was one point. Um, okay. I, I don't know if it's considered a spoiler or not. So I Yeah, I think um, just in general, the less you know about this film, the better. So we'll we'll not talk about any specifics. Yeah, it was but... just a quirk of Anadarmus's character. Oh, I know what you're talking about. That <laughs> did not work for me either. I don't think that's a spoiler to say that like she has some condition. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So, right, she has a condition where if, she thinks about lying or says a lie she, she vomits yeah she will throw up <laughs> and, I, and as soon as daniel craig like mentioned it to her i was like no they're not a- she's she's exaggerating and then like a second later she tries lying and throws up in a vase <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't find vomit gags funny and they're not really funny in here and there's a couple of them. I couldn't and, tell if it was like supposed to be funny or supposed to be like this really neat like way of solving the crime for Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, in a way, I feel like it's sort of like a cop out or like a cheat. But it is nice because it does. Um, I think it's a really easy way to say, hey, this is the character that the audience is supposed to connect. Yeah. With. Yeah. So it does kind of instantly avoid the audience like completely doubting everything she says mm-hmm. in a way. You know, because there certainly is throughout this and like throughout films like this in general, a kind of um, reliability of the narrator thing going on. Yeah. And with so many characters, even during the interviews and stuff, I was like, how much of this actually happened? It was really hard for me to tell. Yeah. So I think that was a good little character quirk, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say. But on the bright side of that, it did like bring like the the team of Daniel Craig and Anna Dormas together. Mm-hmm. And I thought they had like some of the best chemistry like I I like saw in the movie. Oh yeah. Like they were fantastic every time that like Daniel was asking her something and she was on the verge of throwing up trying to like hold back things from him and <laughs> it it was just really fun seeing them work together. Was there anybody that didn't work for you in the cast? I don't know about didn't work, but there were some characters that definitely got more screen time than others. Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Chris Evans gets a lot of screen time. Yeah. Um Keith Stanfield, Daniel Craig, Anna de Armas. My weak link was Eddie Patterson, who plays the um, maid, maybe. Is that that's what she is? The one who you kind of open, the oh, scene opens with. Fran. Yeah, Fran. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily her fault, but she's in a, a TV show on HBO called The Righteous Gemstones. Okay. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. But... It's a Danny McBride show. And so you know what a Danny McBride show is like, right? It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she plays a ridiculous character in that. And I couldn't take her seriously in this. This film isn't serious, but it does ask her to um, act at a couple important moments. And yeah. I just couldn't take her seriously in those moments. So she was, she kind of took me out of the film. I'll, I think I'll, 
I'll bring that up again in spoilers. But I guess she never really had any of those goofy moments that all the other characters had. Yeah. She, she was always there for the really serious ones. That's mm-hmm. interesting. But like I said, I really liked Tony Collette. And I also liked how each of the characters had something to do in the film, mm-hmm. even if it was a small role. So like uh, Jaden Martell, who is from It, mm-hmm. the movie It, he really doesn't have anything but he still has kind of like a key reveal or yeah. moment. And there's a reason for why he's not in a lot of it and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of these characters have great moments. I think if we want to transition a little bit into some of the problems we had with the film before going into spoilers and more specific things, I do think the ending jumps the shark a little bit. Some of the dialogue is on the nose. I think when you add it all together, everything, you know, it turns out fine. And this film, I don't know if we've said this yet, is just really fun. And I've said that a lot about the last couple of films. I'm going back to positives, I guess now. But <laughs> the last couple of films I've seen and I've praised, I've been like, they are just so much fun. This, yeah. Ford vs. Ferrari, Dolomite is my name. I've loved those three movies. And they're not particularly deep. It's not like they don't talk about anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not these you know, revolutionary deep character studies or anything like that. They're just a ton of fun. And I wonder what that says about me and like my life right now where I just need like (laughs) escapism fun. I don't don't know. Maybe as you get older, that's what happens. You're like 24. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm an aged soul. (laughs) No, I'm just not. I think in some ways I'm 12 years old because I'm like super excited for Frozen 2. But in other ways, I just want to go to bed at like 8 p.m. every day. So Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, going back to it, uh, the ending does jump the shark a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll talk about that and it's definitely on purpose, but there is definitely a suspension of disbelief that's required in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, like we said, the characters are caricatures, so they don't always have the most believable motivations at the end of the film. Like when you find out what happens and you do find out what happens and how it all comes together, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. But there were, it was a little bit like, okay, if this was real life, I don't think this would actually play out like that, but it is a whodunit, so I'm going to just be like, okay, I'm, I'm sure that was enough motivation for this person to, you know, commit a murder or yeah. all these other things. Yeah. In general, realism here was sacrificed for the sake of entertainment and humor, but I'm personally fine with that. I don't know how you felt about that. Did that bother you at all? Not really. Uh, Good. Okay. As far as negatives go in this movie, I I agree with you about the ending. You know, from like the first minute of this movie, it's just like a roller coaster through this mystery. And you don't really know what, like, I I feel like I'm pretty good at figuring out plot plot points and stuff Mm -hmm. and like figuring out the ends of movies pretty, pretty well. But I had no idea where this movie was going. But then the last like five or 10 minutes, I figured it out and it was like pretty easy to see where it was going to go in the last five minutes yeah um which i thought was like a you know a surprise and uh very different from the rest of the movie i thought there was going to be a final twist or something yeah and there there is something that you said that i want to um kind of focus on but it does require us to get into spoilers okay so let's just summarize (laughs) our thoughts and then move straight into spoilers. I think there's a lot more interesting things to talk about in spoilers than non-spoilers for this film. Um, so do you want to just give this a score out of 10 and summarize whether you'd recommend people seeing this or whatever? Yeah, I think uh, out of 10, I'd give this an 8.5. Maybe like if you go like 
into like quarters, I would do like 8.75. All right. That's, <laughs> well, what if we go into sixths? Well, I only want to go into quarters. Okay. So there, right. yeah, I, I loved this movie. It's definitely my favorite whodunit movie. And I feel like I've seen a pretty good amount of them. Mm-hmm. It, it's the first one that really had me like on the edge of my seat throughout pretty much the entire thing. Maybe like saving for the last 10 minutes. I, I wasn't as excited, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved it. And everybody did a great job. I'm so happy for all of them, you know, especially Chris Evans, <laughs> especially Chris Evans Love and, and Daniel boy. Craig. I like seeing Daniel Craig succeeding in something that, that wasn't uh, that wasn't James Bond because Logan Lucky really fell flat. Oh, you didn't like that movie? I loved Logan Lucky. I, guess, I thought it was so funny. I guess funny. it didn't fall flat for some people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, eight eight point seven five. Okay, um, eight point seven five. Jesus, Ian. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I'm gonna give it an eight, eight point oh, maybe an eight point one two five. Is that what that we're doing? That sounds ridiculous. 8.25. Going to the there we go. <laughs> Which levels out on average between two and 8.5. But um, yeah, I agree with everything you said. We saw this in like a kind of advanced screening. So I think it goes, you know, in full wide release on Thanksgiving, which hopefully we'll, I'm dropping this episode sometime next week. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. So with a lot of these pre screening things, it's a lot of critics and it's a lot of people that are really into movies so i'm interested to see how this plays out for general audiences yeah um because a lot of people were very vocal about their laughter and they really liked some of the more on the nose political leanings of the film Mm -hmm. and things like that which i also thought were hilarious but it'll be interesting to see i I just given ryan johnson's viewers or something given his track record it'll be interesting to see if there's a polarization here yeah but Overall, I mean, I think this film is great Mm. and it's just so much fun. So definitely would recommend seeing this 8.0 for me. 8.25. Yeah. Great. Okay. (laughs) So with that, let's move on to spoilers. Spoilers for Knives Out starting now. That's my secret, Ken. I'm always So the main thing that I thought was interesting about this film that you kind of talked about was that it feels like halfway through the film, you know everything that happens, Yeah, right? It's revealed that Anna de Armas accidentally injects him with morphine and he's going to die, so he decides to slit his throat. Kind of find that a little hard to believe, but whatever. Um, and so for the rest of the film, you're like, what is going on? Yeah. It, it What's going to happen? It was like watching Endgame and like seeing Thanos' head get chopped off. And you're like, what What? What do we do now for the next like hour and a half? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or in that case, two and a half hours or whatever. But um, with that, so I, I think there's like two sides of that, right? For So for an Endgame, I was excited because I didn't know where it was going to go. In this one, did you ever feel like you were just confused? I, I think immediately after that, I was confused because I was like, I thought this was going to like last for like so so long. I didn't think we were yeah. going to figure it out right now. <laughs> but it but it saved itself, I think, in that regard, at least. Right. Yeah. I think same same thing with you. We at the start of when everything was revealed and then like the movie just kept going. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, what's going to happen now? And what's the point? 
of this. Like, where is this going? Why are we doing all of this? Yeah. And then you do eventually find out, like it comes around in the end when you find out that Daniel Craig's character knew all along that she was involved in it and that Chris Evans framed her or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, that it all worked out a little bit. But there was like a good 30 minutes where I was sort of like, what's the point of this car chase? Like there's no... No, this isn't nothing is gonna happen like driving here. in a prius like down the highway with like three three cops chasing her i was like all right so she's just gonna get caught and the movie's gonna end yeah yeah <laughs> so in that way it was it was really fun to see like how how the script digs itself out of the hole yeah. that it feels like it puts itself in i think that's really interesting what was you... also one of the funniest jokes i think in the movie when they caught her and they were like that was the most ridiculous car chase i've ever been <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I actually loved, I think a huge amount of the comedy needs to be credited to um, the reactions from Lakeith Stanfield and the other cop. Yeah. I feel like that guy's not going to get any credit for this film, but he's like kind of geeking out the whole time about how sick uh, James Bond is and how like famous the family is yeah. and everything. It was so funny. This this film has a really good sense of humor, I think. Um, Noah Segan is his name. Trooper okay. Wagner. Sure. Yeah. Don't know who that is. Well, maybe you should. He's funny. Well, what is he in? I don't know. This. Okay. (laughs) Um, How did you feel about the ultimate reveal that it was Chris Evans' character who did everything? I I feel like I could have guessed that it was going to be Chris Evans. Yeah. I I guess I was thinking just because it's Chris Evans, but everybody in the cast is so famous. So it could, by that logic, it could have been anybody. But he was also like the big, like, douche of the movie yeah so i feel like you could put it together that way it was almost so predictable that it wasn't predictable. yeah like the butler did it you know yeah well i was <laughs> i was wondering there wasn't a butler here right no. so but and it wasn't the alt-right grandchild either so. <laughs> he was, his character was so funny yeah. like this film definitely has kind of a, a political i don't want to say agenda but definitely a political motif and specifically like a kind of fuck the rich yeah motif um, what did you get out of the film? Like the overall arching message? You know, I don't think I got the, no, I got, I did get the, the eat the rich kind of thing, but the, the most political scene I actually enjoyed because of how it didn't seem to lean either way. Like it was the family literally in a shouting match with each other about like presumably Trump. Um, they didn't ever use his name, but it was pretty clear that they were talking about Trump. Yeah, and um, uh, deportation policies and ICE and everything. Yeah, and you know everybody was like shouting their opposing sides at each other, but nobody seemed to win the argument. And it wasn't even like either of the characters who were fighting with each other were like better pe- people. Were better people. Yeah, like, they're they were, both bad people. Yeah, they were both terrible people, like stealing from their elderly father. <laughs> yeah, I and I really liked that. Um, so obviously, Marta is her name, Marta, the Anna de Armas character. Yes. Yeah, good. Um, so like she is a um, Hispanic woman who kind of caretakes for the grandfather. And yeah. when the grandfather dies, the whole family is like, oh, you're a part of our family. We love you. Like you're you're in this with us. We're going to take care of you. But then when push comes to shove, it's like, no, kind of. You're not really part of the family. Yeah, give us the money. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a really interesting uh, r- perspective on like how the wealthy treat the the working class and specifically the working class that they claim to be benevolent from. Yeah, or with like uh, even Tony Collette and Catherine Langford's character. Like Catherine Langford seems yeah. to have a really good relationship 
with Marta. Yeah, that that was the big turn that I was thinking of. Like she just like turns on who supposedly was one of her like best friends or something. Yeah. Because of the money. <laughs> yeah, it, it's smart. It's that, like money corrupts. Um, and ultimately, the only reason that Marta, quote unquote, wins is because she appeals or like she's just a good person. She's a nice person. Yeah. And there's a whole spiel from Daniel Craig's character that's pretty on the nose about it. He's like, yeah, you didn't succumb to, you know, taking the money. You saved Eddie Patterson's character, Fran, mm-hmm. like because you're nice. You're a good person. But, you know, I thought it was cute. Have you seen Roma? No, I haven't. It's on my list. Do you know what it's about? Yeah. So there's a scene in Roma where um, the camera does a very good job at isolating the... um, Cleo is the main character. She's like the the family um, caretaker or whatever, away from the rest of the family. Um, And so, like, the whole film is kind of showing this relationship between how, like, the the caretaker is very much a part of the family, but very much also not a part of the family. And I thought the same thing was done here. And that was pretty cool. So the moment that I thought that the film kind of jumped the shark was when it was revealed that somebody burned down the police station. Oh, yeah, that was sort of crazy. (laughs) I was just sort of like, okay, especially when you figure (laughs) out, like, who it was that burned down the station. I'm like. How did did Chris Evans do that? Yeah. How did he pull that off? (laughs) Yeah, flame on. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I just, like, I find it hard to believe that, like, you wouldn't get, like, you you couldn't get away with that. No. Like, there's so many security cameras or, like, I don't know. That that part was a little wonky. And, like, basically his whole defense for how he, like, knows all these, like, crime things is because he, like, interned with his grandfather for a summer. Yeah. Well, so that that's what I was saying was like the motivation and was like kind of weird. Like, yeah. Because he does kind of come off as this like dumbass. And well, I guess he doesn't like he does seem like an intelligent guy, but he comes off as this sort of just like loser guy who doesn't do anything for yeah. himself. So I found it really hard to believe that he would just on a dime be like, oh, I'm going to kill my grandfather um, and I'm going to frame Marta for it. Yeah. So that was the kind of kitschy, campy whodunit part that i had to suspend for Mm -hmm. but because it was so entertaining i was fine with that i think my favorite part of the script though was um when you find out that she accidentally injected the morphine or whatever into him though for the whole scene i was like there's no way there wasn't a toxicology report oh yeah i was thinking that too (laughs) yeah and i was like this is kind of stupid i'm gonna let it slide but it was so dumb that they wouldn't do a toxicology report on yeah. this guy. Yeah. But then they bring it up and they talk about it. So I was really happy that it kind of settled all my qualms by the end of the film. Yeah. I was also wondering for a little while, like, why why don't they have the toxicology report yet? This movie's been going for so long. And then, like, I, I forgot until, like, long after the movie that it only took place in, like, two days. Well, that was the other thing is that it was, like, one week later. Right, I think there was a week between when he was murdered. Because, and... Yeah, but the investigation was only two days. Right. Yeah. But do you think that they would just allow those people to be in his house if there was an ongoing investigation for like a week after his death? I find that a little hard to believe. Like, there's so much tampering with the scene that could be done and stuff. Well, I mean, they. I mean, they like. In, I'm doing quotes with my hands right now. They taped off the scene. Oh yeah, you're right. They did. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I I see what you mean. But it's still their house. Yeah, I mean, and overall, I think that everything, again, this is just one of the smartest scripts I've seen. Like, I, 
it's weird. Like a script usually doesn't like come out to me in, in a film. It's mm-hmm. not one of those things where I'm like, wow, the script is great. But for whatever reason, I was like, this one is great. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite parts of this movie, which is a really dumb thing that I love about movies, <laughs> but when they say the title of the movie in the movie, I lose it every time. I, I got so excited when Daniel Craig said that they all had their like knives out for for uh, for the money. <laughs> I love yeah, that. You, you turned them in. You're like, they said the thing. <laughs> yeah. So they do do that. It's the little things, you know? Yeah, it is. So I think with that then, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, No, that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, if for whatever reason you didn't see the movie and you're listening to this, shame on you. But also go see it anyways. I think it's still a lot of fun, even if you know what's going to happen. Um, But okay, let's move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff we've been watching. So, Ian, what have you been watching? Like many others, I have subscribed to Disney Plus, so Disney has full access to my wallet. Mm, Same. (laughs) Um, And I've been watching The Mandalorian. It's a world more peaceful since the revolution. It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Uh, episode three just came out yesterday. Right, so this is oh, what? But I mean, if you're going to be... November 23rd yeah. is when we're recording this, so <laughs> three episodes in. Okay, yeah, continue. We're, I'm, I'm three episodes in right now, and I am absolutely loving it. Episode three was definitely my favorite, though. Uh, it really had—I remember hearing about what The Mandalorian was going to be. It was going to be like this, you know, space western kind of thing mm-hmm. um, with uh, The Mandalorian as the cowboy, you know, but it wasn't going to be Jango or Boba. It was going to be this other Mandalorian. Um, and it takes place after the fall of the Empire and I, gu- I guess right after the beginning of the New Republic. Um, I think they referenced the New Republic. Didn't Maybe. They? I don't I don't know. Star Wars lore is pretty over my head, honestly. <laughs> um, I know what lightsabers are. Yeah, but it, it's before The Force Awakens, I think. Right, yeah. And I think it's just been fantastic. It, it is... Uh, episode three very much feels like a Western. I finally got that vibe in that episode, but it still very much feels like Star Wars. You know, you're you're immersed in this world of, you know, terms that you you don't know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like creatures walking around that will never be named. <laughs> um, but it's just like a really fantastical world, and it really seems like they didn't really. That the, that they really didn't spare any uh, any budget for this movie. It, spared it, no expense. Spared no expense in this in this show. <laughs> yeah. So I've seen episodes one and two. I haven't gotten around to episode three yet. But um, I I mostly agree with you. I think I liked the second episode more than the first. Yeah. Because the first episode just felt a little choppy, and um, I've heard other people say this and i think i'm starting to see it is that it doesn't really feel like a tv show it feels more like uh vignette, vignettes or something like just kind of moments yeah 
in this character's life. And it, it'll be interesting to see if there is an overarching story. Yeah. Because it feels like there's sort of just these little snippets. They're almost like um, short films, each of them. Yeah, they are. And that's not necessarily bad or good or anything like that, but it, it does it doesn't quite feel like a TV show, which I think is interesting. So when I was going into it, I was sort of expecting or trying to th- see, okay, is this prestige TV? Is this something that is on the likes of like the best of HBO? And it's not, but it's also not trying to be. But at the same time, it also has a fantastic budget. Like you said, I think the special effects are really good. And um, I really like the reveal at the end of episode one. We'll keep it vague just in case no one has seen it or doesn't want to be spoiled or isn't on Twitter at all. Yeah. Um, but overall, I'm really excited to see where it goes, and I've heard great things about episode three. Yeah. How do you feel about the fact that the character has no face and does not take off his helmet? I think that's really cool because it's sticking with you know the, the lore of the Mandalorians. Like They have a code that they live by. Nobody's mm. supposed to see their face. They're supposed to keep their helmet on at all times. And they really get into the lore in the third episode. Oh, really? Um, not so much into his specific background, but into the background of, like, why are the Mandalorians here okay. in this place? Um, why are they hiding? Um, what's their relationship with the Empire and stuff like that? Yeah, I guess I feel it's just harder to emote, obviously, when you don't have a helmet on. Yeah. Or, I mean, when you do have a helmet on. But I think so. he's doing a great job for what he what he has to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is He is making the most of it. It's Pedro Pascal, yeah. so he's a fantastic actor. But I do wish that it was sort of like Spider-Man or something where sometimes it helped, his helmet would come off. Yeah. So you could see his eyes, like, look at his traveling companion. I almost just gave it away. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think it's working. It, it'll just be interesting to see how much we can get to know the character without Definitely. ever seeing his face. That, that will be interesting to see. And I, I do want to also point out episode three of The Mandalorian is the first live action anything Star Wars to be uh, directed by a woman. It was Deborah Chow, mm-hmm. correct? Um, and she's also going to be, I think, helming Obi-Wan the series. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So uh, after watching episode three, I have really high hopes for Obi-Wan, especially with Ewan McGregor <laughs> returning. What do you think, this is kind of a side tangent, but what do you think about the like transitioning from these movies and making them into shows? Like there was, you know, 10 years ago, an Obi-Wan yeah. thing would have been a property that definitely would have been a movie. Yeah. Do you feel happier that it's a, a show or you don't care or what? I, I actually really like it. I feel the same way about the the MCU shows that are coming to Disney+. Plus. It, it gives a lot of extra time to really explore these characters that you don't really get to explore in the movies. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Like, like we're going to get like six hours of Obi-Wan. We don't get nearly that much in the movies. You get like t- probably like an hour, hour and a half of screen time with so you'd rather have six hours of a show of Obi-Wan than like a two and a half hour contained film about Obi-Wan? I, I I don't necessarily think that. I just think it's a it's a different method of doing it, mm-hmm. uh, of exploring places that, you know, people wanted to see more of from the movies. Like we're going to see the Falcon Winter Soldier and those guys have only been backup characters, Captain America in the movies. Right, but I, I suppose I'm saying that wouldn't it also be cool to have just a movie about Cap, uh, Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Captain Falcon. <laughs> uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it definitely would. 
and I sort of wonder if this is, you know, one of Marvel's and Star Wars, like, I guess Disney's thing of, like, testing the waters, mm, maybe. Yeah. They don't want to put all of their eggs in one basket of, like, putting a feature-length film out there. They're going to try out their, like, more uh, out-there crazy ideas in this Disney Plus where, um, you know, they have the freedom to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I was definitely when they first announced all these things, I was really excited because I think it's cool that all the actors are coming back. But I was a little worried that they were going to um, like the TV show was going to restrict what they were able to do in terms of kind of the impact of the show and the um, the budget of the show. But then I watched that expanding the universe thing yeah. on Disney Plus, the 11 minute thing and the stuff they said. And again, it's just saying things. So we'll have to wait until we hear and see like actual stuff from the show. But the way they talked about it was that Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, they were both like, there's going to be these big action set pieces, but then there's also going to be the moments in between where we really get to explore these characters in a way that we haven't. Yeah. So I think if the show does that, it'll be great. Mm -hmm. If it is just this thing that um, to an extent, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was, where it was kind of like, taking advantage of the IP and not really doing anything unique with it, yeah. then I'll have some problems. But I think if they say, okay, we're going to give it basically a Marvel-sized budget, but it's also going to be over the course of 10 hours, so we're going to have conversations where Bucky is talking about how fucked up he's got to be after being used as a brainwashed assassin for yeah, 60 years. Yeah. That's really cool to me. Um, same with Obi-Wan. Yeah, right? I, I saw like the... I think um, Anthony Mackie said that pretty much exact same thing. Um, people were getting like all up in arms about Anthony Mackie maybe becoming Captain America. And he was like, yeah, you know, I, I would sort of feel the same way if I didn't have this show coming out because this is going to be his way of like winning over people of why he should be Captain America, you know? Yeah, Kevin Feige has also said that the for sure are going to blend into the movies. Yeah. So that'll be really cool. Yeah, because so. at the end of, I think that, what was it, Expanding the Universe? Yeah, he said Kamala Khan. Yeah, he was, was like Kamala Khan and Moon Knight and She-Hulk will all be in the Marvel, like MCU. Yeah. Which is so, so cool. Somehow we got to the MCU. Yeah. My bad. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, you, so you've been watching Mandalorian. Yes. It is on Disney+. Plus. I love it. Do you actually, before we move on, I know this has been a longer point too. Some marathons are like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is the Mandalorian, in your opinion, enough to be worth a subscription? The Mandalorian alone? Yeah. If it keeps going the way that it looks like it's going from episode three, I would say, yeah. So would you recommend people watching it, like like getting the subscription now and watching it week to week? Or if, like, let's say you know that you're not going to watch any of the Disney stuff, do you think it just makes sense to do the free trial at the end of December when it's all done and you can binge it all? Yeah, If you really only want to watch The Mandalorian, then I guess I would say wait and just do the free trial at the end and binge it. But there is something special about, you know, watching a weekly episode of Star Wars. Yeah, it is pretty cool that they've like, so like we can just talk about this for two months. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It is. Um, and then in general, do you think Disney Plus has been worth it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been using it a lot? Yeah. I'm I'm watching probably three of their original shows. Really? Um that come out weekly. Did yeah. you watch the Lady and the Tramp thing? No, I haven't yet. Okay. But then on top of, you know, watching 
I'm also watching The Simpsons on the side and watching just like old cartoons sometimes. And I've watched Moana on it. I've watched Toy Story 3 on it already. Okay. Um, I feel like on top of the originals that I'm watching, I'm getting more than interesting, more than what I'm paying for in all of their backlogged stuff. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I've only watched the first two episodes of Mandalorian and then I checked out The Little Mermaid. Because I've been meaning to watch that again, but I haven't had a chance to watch anything else on it. I'm going to watch Frozen before seeing Frozen 2. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm not totally sold on spending $70 right out of the yeah, bat. Yeah, but, <laughs> it is a lot. We'll see how much time I have like in the winter to start watching stuff. So, But what I'm going to do for my point two is instead of talking about some Disney stuff, um, is I'm going to talk about a mini series on Hulu called Looking for Alaska. I am fascinated by last words. My favorite last words ever. I go to seek a great perhaps. You must be the new roommate. Welcome to Color Creek, Miles. I call him Pudge. Ah, the Colonel and his irony. Who's that? Alaska Young. Alaska? My reputation precedes me. What's up, scrub? You grow the summer bud? You have to excuse them, Pudge. They had everything in life handed to them. Looks like we're going to war. There has been an outbreak of pranks on campus. I hope you two are staying out of trouble. Ooh, hot damn. Oh, yeah. I saw a preview for that. Yeah, okay, so you've heard of this? So it's based on a novel by John Green. Um, it stars Charlie Plummer, Kristen, or Christine, I don't know, Froseth. And then Denny Love. So it's a pretty unknown cast. The main person that I recognize from it is Jonah Ryan from Veep. He plays like a school principal or whatever. So it's created by Josh Schwartz, who did The O.C. and The Runaways, and then also Gossip Girl. Oh. So this is very much a show for teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very angsty and kind of like, I'm a snowflake and why won't the world understand me kind of thing um but i love it (laughs) um it's really well made traditional television uh it takes place at like a boarding school in i think alabama and it just follows a group of friends and one of them is a new kid to the school miles halter who's played by charlie Plummer. and then there's this kind of like manic pixie dream girl-ish girl um alaska young so she's played by Kristen froseth oh there's a character actually named alaska yeah yeah, so looking for Alaska is like looking for the character Alaska, I think. Um, so it's. So have you ever read a John Green book? No. Do you know what else he does? He yeah, does, like he did Fault like, in Our Stars. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those. It's like teen romance yeah. love kind of. Okay. Um, it's It has a very like idealistic, youthful, best years of your life kind of feel to it. And I think that's really comforting and relaxing. Like it's really fun to just chill with the characters yeah. and- their their boarding school is also like kind of a summer camp or something. It's like in the middle of the woods. So it's got that like okay. <laughs> summer best time of your life feel okay. to it. Um, and it also takes place in 2005, which is a little before we were in high school. But Is that when the book came out? Um, I think so. Yeah, some sometime around there. Maybe not. I might have made that up. But like it still has that kind of nostalgic 2000s feel to it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the characters, they're really charming. The actors play them really well. And um, I just think it's a very well-made show. Like, it knows how to do interesting teen drama mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way that doesn't feel cheap. Um, and I really loved the first couple episodes. 
there's like a lot of them just hanging around and playing pranks and like there's the douchey wealthy kids. It's very like, you know, cliche yeah. high school stuff. Yeah. The last two episodes, which I just watched yesterday, they're a lot heavier. Something happens, shit goes down. And then um, there's like a mystery component to it of what's like, you know, what happened? Why did this happen? And that I liked significantly less. Like, I think in that point, the show kind of gets too far up its own ass and it's kind of like angsty and, oh, the world is cruel and blah, blah, blah. But for the first six episodes, I think it's perfectly up its own ass enough where you're kind of like, it's it's still angsty, but um, I don't know. It, it's still nice and relaxing and stuff. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's also a contained story, so there's definitely no season two, which yeah, I was is gonna always ask nice. That. Is it all out now? Yeah. So there's eight episodes. They're all, you know, like 40 minutes or so. Um, and I would recommend checking out the first episode and you should be able to instantly tell what the show is trying to do and if that's what you are looking for. Mm -hmm. If you're not, you're not going to like it. But if you are, I think what it's trying to do, it does very well. Okay. Um, so it's a quick eight episode watch. Uh, it's Looking for Alaska on Hulu. So definitely check that out. So I think we're going to end it pretty quickly today. Uh, this is a shorter episode, but this has been our review of Knives Out. Ian, um, well, thank you for coming to see this film with me and well, then coming onto the podcast to talk about it. I love it. Yeah. is I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no, nothing specific I want to plug, but I do have a question for any, any of our viewers. Um, <laughs> if anybody knows how to make a radiator stop like clicking and pounding loudly every night when I'm trying to sleep, <laughs> you know, just reach out to movie marathoners or to me at I, I Anderson on Twitter. The O in Anderson is a zero. Yeah, some sort of like algorithm is going to just listen to this and be like radiator. And it's just going to start like <laughs> sending you maintenance requests and stuff. Um, I don't know if algorithms do that. Yeah. Mine, <laughs> mine did that for a while when I first moved into like my old place. Yeah. And um, it would also hiss out of like the little valve. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine with that, but it's just like a hammer pounding at it like a pipe. <laughs> I got really annoyed at it, so I like hit it with a hammer to close off the valve. <laughs> and then oh it God. just went, it started like absolutely hissing because I just like closed the hole. Yeah. And then, so I had to call my landlord and be like, hey, this is broken. Something happened. <laughs> <laughs> they replaced it. And, um... He was like, I don't know, it's just not working and it's making this really loud hissing sound and the valve is broken because I also like tried to tighten it by hitting it yeah, and course. it just shattered the valve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll try smacking it with a hammer and call maintenance. Yeah, yeah, do that. It worked out for me. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, what movie are you looking forward to for the rest of the year? I'm trying to ask all my guests this. Ooh, um, <sighs> the next Star Wars movie probably. Yeah. Yeah. That is this year, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's like next month. Yeah, the last rise of... The, la the last Walker. rise of the sky Jedis. Of the walker in Jedis the sky. Jedis in the sky. Yeah, Jedis in the sky. Okay, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, too. I think we'll... I'll try and probably do a, a retrospective episode of all the Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I think David Malley might come on to that, so we can all geek out to that, get like a huge little... A Jedi council, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> I talked to him yesterday, actually, about uh, Rogue One, and he doesn't like it. So really? we'll have a lot to talk about. Ooh, that'll be interesting, because <laughs> I'm not a fan of um, The Last Jedi, which we managed to avoid talking about on a Ryan Johnson podcast. So Woo! good for us. Woo! Um, 
Zack Snyder sucks. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> the intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe, please write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when we break down the top five animated films of the past decade. Woo! I do have a pretty mediocre guest for that one, so don't hold your breath, it's going to suck. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. It is Ian, and we're going to actually record that right after this and delay the uh, release or whatever. Like Sonic. So, okay. Until then, bye. See ya. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.